Thank you for joining me once again on the Awake Podcast. And I don't know when you'll be listening to this one, but I'm recording just days after Easter. And so Easter is really on my mind and it's something that I've been thinking about, really thinking about the meaning of Easter. Because for me, Easter is all about new beginnings. It's about second chances, hope and redemption. The resurrection was the beginning of making all things new. And bringing new life to places that are full of darkness, that's what Easter is all about. And to me, that is truly what justice is all about. My pastor once said, we are an Easter people living in a Good Friday world. He said there is so much darkness in our world today, war, conflict, persecution, disease, and poverty. But he said we are called to be glow-in-the-dark saints so the world can experience the light and life of Jesus. He said let the light of Jesus move you to a holy impatience because it's a Good Friday world full of darkness, but we are the Easter people with the hope of resurrection. And I love that phrase he used, holy impatience, because my hope is that holy impatience would characterize my passion and drive for justice, a drive that seeks to bring a second chance and new beginnings to hurting people. And if you've been following along, then you've heard about my recent trip to India and Thailand. And if you missed my last podcast, I'd encourage you to go back and listen because it'll give you context for the stories I'm about to share with you. But I'll briefly recap. I was in India visiting a a community, a people group of 100,000 people called the Banchera. And these people are spread out over 70 communities, 100,000 people. And what's interesting about this community is that they live with a 500-year-old tradition that says when the eldest daughter in the family is 12 years old, uh, she is put into the sex industry as a means to provide financially for the whole community. This is how the community survives, by putting their own daughters right under the noses of parents and family in the sex industry. But what started as just the eldest daughter in the family has now spread to put every young girl in the community at risk of this lifestyle. I was overwhelmed by the stories that I encountered. I talked to a girl named Sonu whose mother is a sex worker and she wanted her daughter to do the same. She was abusive to Sonu. Uh, She would frequently bring clients to the house to sort of expose Sonu to this lifestyle, trying to prepare her daughter for this lifestyle. But Sonu's father, who was a truck driver, valued his daughter and wanted another life for her. He, he wanted her to get an education, and he knew that living here in this community was not the right environment. Most of the other girls Sonu's age did not go to school at all. Her parents really fought bitterly over the future of Sonu, but in the end, it was the encouragement of her father that really got her out of that lifestyle and placed her into the home called House of Palms where we partner with there and able to help the young girls in that community. And after two years of living at House of Palms, she told me that what she loved most was the loving staff and studying. She said her favorite subject is science and when she grows up, she hopes to be a police officer, which I thought was interesting. I asked her why and she said, that it was her father's dream for her, and she desperately wants 
to make him proud. I met another young girl named Nana whose mother was also a sex worker, but she was determined to give her daughter a different life. And through the help of a church planter who was working in her village, she was offered a second chance for her daughter and really a new beginning. Nana now also lives at the House of Palms, but in talking to her, you could tell that she understands really all too well the sacrifice that her mother has made for her. She told us about a a classmate of hers who was forced to drop out of school because her parents came and got her and forced her into the sex industry. So Nana really had a good understanding of how different her life could have been. But meeting Nana and her mother was a bit sobering for me because while I saw the daughter receiving this help, I knew that the mother remains in that lifestyle. And so I was kind of reminded of how complex this work is, that these problems cannot be solved all at once, that it could quite possibly take an entire generation or more to reverse this. But I also saw the power of choice and how one decision by a caring, loving mother can break the cycle and change a family's course and future forever. In my last podcast, I talked to you a little bit about the dowry system in India, and I I told you about these young girls that I talked to in one of these villages and how they were um, working in the industry for years simply to pay off the dowries so that their brothers could get married. And I wanted to tell you a little bit more about those girls today. One of those girls was 18 years old. She began her work in the sex industry at the age of 12. She has four brothers, so she has the responsibility of paying the dowry for four brothers to get married. It will take her 40 years to pay that off. She doesn't have an education, so she felt she had no other choice. At 14, she had a son. She has no husband. She told me she is regularly abused and mistreated. It's just expected. But most importantly, she told me that if she had a way out, she would change her lifestyle. She's done. But her only way out in this community is a job that pays as much as the sex industry. So you see, it's it's complicated. The young girl standing next to her was named Raina. She's 25 years old, and she's been in this work for 10 years. She has one boy and one girl. She's the oldest sister in the family, so again, she bears the responsibility. Her brother got married, and her family is still in debt from that dowry. They're paying a huge amount of interest because corrupt moneylenders get involved. There's so much pressure on her culturally. Her daughter is seven years old, and she does not want to see her daughter go into the same work. In listening to these two women's stories, I realized that both of them are facing the reality that unless something dramatically changes, their children will end up in the same lifestyle. And they are ready to break that vicious cycle. This is their reality. But we were faced with reality too. I shared with you last time that in the background, while we were having this conversation, this heartbreaking conversation, our team noticed that there was a group of men waiting, a group of customers 
waiting for the women that we were talking to. This was the reality. Darkness was literally staring us in the face. And, you know, I think I would have left that community devastated and feeling um, hopeless if it were not for one thing, a new church building. You see, the day we were there, they were putting the finishing touches on a brand new church building in that village. But this wasn't just any church and it wasn't just any village. This was the first church in the entire Bonchera community of 100,000 people. The first church in an entire unreached people group. And it will not only serve as a place of worship, but as a community outreach center, a place to educate and change this way of life from the inside out. It's a bright light in the middle of so much darkness. It, it stands for the hope of a second chance and for new beginnings. And you know, one of my favorite definitions of hope is this. Hope is a conviction of what has happened in the past and the promise of what waits for us in the future. And it changes how we live in the present. It changes today. You see, our world is full of so much brokenness. I saw it on this last journey I took into India. But the truth is, brokenness surrounds us and you do not have to fly across the world to find it. But I also think sometimes we only see what we are looking for. And what if instead of looking for those problems, for the conflict, for the brokenness in our world, what if we opened our eyes and started looking for signs of life, for signs of new beginnings? What if we changed the conversation from what we can't do to what we can, from those we can't help to those we can help save? What if we leaned in to hope? Last Sunday on Easter, my pastor was preaching from Colossians in chapter 1 where it talks about all the broken pieces being fixed through the death of Jesus Christ. But while he was speaking, I found myself wandering a few verses up and stumbling on something that I'd really, guess, never thought about before. In the message version of Colossians 1.12, it says something interesting. It says, thanking the Father who makes us strong enough to handle everything bright and beautiful he has for us. And as I read that, I wondered, why would we have to be strong to handle what's bright and beautiful? You don't need to be strong to to handle that. That should come easy, right? I mean, that's the fun stuff. Bright and beautiful is happy and carefree, right? But it got me thinking, what if bright and beautiful is not what we think it is? What if the bright and beautiful is actually the sad, heartbreaking things that we can't stand and that we tend to avoid? And what if only when we embrace those things do they become the most beautiful things in our lives? What if God makes us strong enough to handle the dark places so that he can show us the bright and beautiful redemption stories and so that we can be part of those stories? 
That's certainly something to think about and really what I want to leave you with today. I challenge you to think on that for a bit and ask yourself that question. What if God makes us strong enough to handle the dark places so that he can show us the bright and beautiful? I'm going to continue to share with you these stories of hope because I'm searching for signs of life. I'm leaning into hope and I'm trying to embrace the bright and beautiful. I hope you'll continue on this journey with me. For more information, visit me at noelleyates.com.